0: hello and welcome to ep 16 of off the block swimming podcast thank you all for downloading today's show wherever you are listening i'm your host robbie cox now huge show lined up for you guys today as we chat to former dolphins team member and two-time olympian miss jess ashwood Caught up with Jess a week or so ago and discussed her fantastic career, her beginnings at Canterbury Pool with her nan as her coach, to her World Championship medal racing Katie Ledecky in 2015 at the World Champs. We also go through her bout with scoliosis and how that affected her swimming and also her life. So make sure you've got Mum's Mother's Day present ready for Sunday, make sure you've got all the ingredients ready for cooking her breakfast on Sunday morning. Once all that's done, please put your feet up, because Ep 16 with Jess Ashwood starts now. Away they go, no problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert,
1: and Ian Thorpe, battling it out down the pool.
0: But the signature of all eyes is the great Baton Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. But he's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chevish in the right hats, Norton in the black hats, and Velt has got it. I cannot believe
2: he's done that.
0: Joining us today on the show is a two-time Olympian who achieved success at every elite level competition she competed in with medals from the World Champs, Com Games and Olympic Games in Rio. Overcoming major hurdles right throughout her career, she is the ultimate role model for our sport, showing toughness, grit, determination and being very humble and also extremely well respected within the swimming world. It is a very big welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast to Jess Ashwood. How are you, mate?
1: Good, thanks. How are you going? Thanks for
0: having me. Not a trouble at all. I'm, um, I'm really good. I'm, I'm kicking the second coffee's kicking in. Obviously, it's, it's Anzac Day for everyone who's listening and I was up early this morning at, at 6 a or 5.50 because we had to be out on the, the driveway at 6am. So, um, you know, the coffee's kicking in, thankfully, so, <laughs> so we're, we're ready to rumble. But yeah, what about yourself, mate? Did you, did you get up this morning for the dawn service?
1: No, I wasn't up this morning. I'm um, doing some shift work at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a caseworker at the Salvation Army. Yep. Um, so I finished my shift last night at about ten thirty, eleven. Oh. So you so, would not got
0: to bed till late
1: yes and doing i did a couple in a row so i've got the weekend off to recover but um yeah just paying my respects inside throughout the day today
0: that's all right i think you'll you can be forgiven for that you, you're working hard mate <laughs> now i'm coming to you today from the self-isolated quarantine studios in sydney and by studios everyone's got it by now i mean my garage where have we where have we caught you today
1: I am self isolating in my bedroom under the covers, even though it is a beautiful <laughs> sunny day in Brisbane.
0: <laughs> uh, it's a, It's a nice day in Brisbane, and you're under. Well, I guess you're trying to rest up from your big shift.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> and we, we can't be out <laughs> anyway. Oh, no, well
0: that's true. You can go out for a wander. Do you get out much? Do you get out for a walk around? And
1: I've been trying to walk. Like the pools are closed, so yeah, can't can't even go for a swim. So I've been trying to walk. But I like I do about maybe a six k walk. Um, and I'm sore for about three days afterwards, so um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get into a regular routine.
0: <sighs> exactly. I was going to say, I mean, how are you going being stuck in the house at the moment? I mean, you, what sort of routines? Do you have any routines? I mean, have you got house party? Are you on house party, oh. having a chat, or what are you up to?
1: <laughs> um, I'm still working, so I'm working full-time as a caseworker, and it's a 24-7 rotating roster, so... I don't know. Things are kind of normal for me in a weird way. Yeah. Um, because I guess I just go from here, work, and sleep, which is kind of what I was doing when I was swimming anyway. Like,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> pull, sleep, eat.
0: <laughs>
1: so <laughs> I maintain somewhat of a routine. But yeah, I don't know. It is a bit crazy with everything going on.
0: Yeah. I mean, what about people outside of yourself? Have, have you got family or friends that have, have been affected in, in any way?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, my partner, he was working from home um, recently. They, they weren't able to go through JobKeeper, so he's mm-hmm. looking for some new work at the moment. Um, my mum's down in Sydney, so I'm like we had planned she was going to come up and visit me. because my birthday on Tuesday, but she can't come up now, so we'll probably just FaceTime mm-hmm. a little birthday something.
0: Have a Zoom party
1: have a little zoom party. I don't know.
0: I, like, <laughs> I don't even like talking on the phone. So maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, mate, talk to me about um, what would be going through the mind of an athlete at the moment. I want to take you into the, the Olympics being pushed back to 2021. If you were training mm. right now and, and this happened and, and you were an athlete getting ready for, you know, obviously the Olympics this year and then it pushed back. How do you think mm. you would have gone?
1: Um, I think it would have been really tough because obviously like swimming's done in terms of planning, like I'm a big planner, um, but planned in like the, I don't know the proper names, but the mesocycles and that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so in terms of like cycles and building up, especially like as a distance swimmer, building up your blocks of training, the fourth year, I don't know, is very like, I don't know It's yearly cycles are just really compounded and built up so that you like to make sure that you don't burn out, but to make sure, you know, you reach your peak at the right time. Mm. So timing is a big thing. And I guess my concern would have been if I was still swimming when this happened would be burnout Yeah. because say you've gone, this is like a final year. If you're maintaining that same heavy load in terms of, I guess, distance, but also pressure mentally for another year, that's a lot to Mm. take on. Um, So that would be the main thing I feel like would be really challenging to manage. And then also that, well, being restricted, not being able to swim at the moment and not sure, I guess, the different countries. My my main focus would be, like, the fairness across the world in terms of, like, access to pools. So I know I've seen, like, people training in backyard pools and that sort of thing. But, God, I would find it so hard, like, (laughs) motivation-wise, like, to manage that balance of you know like I said that with the burnout but also staying a reasonable amount of fit during this yeah. time um would be like that I feel like that would be the hardest thing to I guess balance out
0: it's a hard one and even with the fairness I know I saw a, an article um Dean Boxall coach at St, mm. St. Peter's has come out this week and has urged that the government to at least let the elite level swimmers get back in the pool at some point soon um mm. And all around the world, obviously, different restrictions. So you're right that just the fairness levels would make it a lot yeah.
1: harder. Yeah, for sure. And, like, and ideally, like, I had a dream the other night that they opened the pools, and I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> do I want to go for a swim? I guess so. But um, I think you can just, like, feel it, that people do want to get back into it and train. Um, but, yeah, I guess everyone would have to just take it differently depending on their motivation levels. Like, I feel like um, – mentally with having the games pushed back depending on where you are even in like your career in swimming, say if you're younger coming through, you would really have that um, motivation to sort of make your first team and wanting Mm. to push and you could use that time and seeing that as an opportunity to fit more training in. But I guess on the other side, if you're, you know, if this is maybe one of your final years and you really, this is your last Olympics and there might not be that same, I guess, energy, that would be really tough trying to push through for that extra year. So be trying to find that motivation and think of, okay, why am I doing this? Make sure the intrinsic motivation is there to do it, mm. and then putting it all in for another year.
0: And I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I've been speaking to um, obviously a few athletes in, in doing mm. this podcast, and um, you know you're right. Talking to sort of Taylor McEwen the other day, she was saying you know she was looking at this maybe being her last um, Olympics, and then moving on from that, and you know going mm. into working and, and fields outside of that, and studying, and now she's like had to you know, uh, reassess in, in her mind. Obviously, you know, she said that she's she's keen to go around again, but that wasn't just an instant, all right, I'm going to go again. That was a process <laughs> of her, you know, coming to terms with, okay, well, all those things I'd planned on now have to be pushed back a little bit further, so.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the hard thing, at, like, yeah, if you're towards that, yeah, like Taylor in that situation, if you're, you know, say if you're planning to be your last Olympics this year, maybe you have plans for work or maybe even a family, to being able to push that back. Mm. But um, I think, you know, if if that's the, if it was there this year, that desire to keep going, um, a few more months you'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Mate, let's move on to your uh, impressive swimming career now. And I, I want to take you back to Sydney where little Jess started mm-hmm. in the pool. What were your earliest <laughs> memories of swimming as a youngster?
1: Probably my earliest memories would be being cold, I am a very cold person. I get cold all the time. I'm cold right now. That's why I'm under my blankets. Um, Cold
0: in Brisbane.
1: Cold in Brisbane. That's why I stayed. Even when I quit swimming, I was like, I'm staying. (laughs) I don't know. I was just such a cold frog. Like, I loved being in the water, Mm -hmm. but I was like, I look at any photos of myself as a child and I'm like, my arms are across my chest and I'm shaking and my lips are blue, but I'm smiling, (laughs) but I'm just freezing.
0: (laughs) Where where was that at? We, I know, obviously, I know you um, trained at a Canterbury pool, but w- yeah. was that the first pool you were at, or?
1: Yeah, I was at Canterbury and um, my local Padstow pool. I think I trained like trained between the two of those. Yeah. But like my parents said, even in like an indoor, you know, the fifteen meter like mums and bub's classes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that I would cry and say I'm cold and ask for them to take me out. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: God bless you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mate, were you a natural as a youngster? Was it something you've had to, you know, work on to to get to a certain level, or was it just uh, natural for you in the water?
1: Um, I don't think I was a natural. Like I, I never feel like I had a natural talent, but I did always tr- work really hard and train a lot. So I, like, I don't know. I, I never got to test out if I was a natural because I just always trained a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess like my having my grandma as a coach. Um, so even if like I remember going on holidays up to the Gold Coast, I think it was, and we still trained. Yeah, like you know, up and that and like it, it, it. It's so funny. Like I reflect on that, and I'm like, oh, that was because like we had metros in like six weeks' time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like 14. <laughs> it was like, well, I can't miss training, so I better train on my holiday. <laughs>
0: Oh, mate, what did you enjoy most about swimming when you were younger? And you know, was it being around your friends and your teammates? Was it pushing yourself in training and improving? Was it Was it the competition side of it?
1: Well, probably a bit of everything, to be honest. Mm. Like, I think I do enjoy. Like, I think my biggest goal in swimming was like a really vague one, yeah. <laughs> which was just like, let's just see what we can do, <laughs> <laughs> and like, but that's like in a way because it was so vague and broad there's all it was like forever ongoing because it was like well let's just see what we can do in this and it was like oh you're pretty good at distance all right let's see what we can do in that but um and so i think just having i don't know i just naturally always like i always find i'm i enjoy setting goals out of i guess just not desire to necessarily do well but just see what i could do Mm. physically and mentally
0: push yourself to see what you had
1: yeah, like, in a, in a you know, like a way of like, I guess, being curious, being like, oh, like, I, d- I think I never took myself very seriously as a swimmer until maybe I was like 16 or 17. Mm. And that was when it became that, all right, well, let's like put everything in this and see what you can do. <laughs> you,
0: you're known for obviously being really good in middle distance and distance events. Were, were those always your main events when you were younger? I mean... We we did you manage to do a pretty quick hundred freestyle when you were younger?
1: <laughs> never a hundred. <laughs> I think I think I did well at like a youth Olympics. I did a two hundred freestyle and I did a two hundred three. Mm-hmm. And then I think I maintained that like till when I finished. I think the <laughs> last two hundred free I did might have been like a two hundred three. <laughs> so the speed never really came. I used to be. I used to. I think the first um, event that I made state for was two hundred butterfly. Um, Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a butterflyer. And I don't know what happened to that. Maybe too many people did it and there wasn't many people doing distance. distance. And I was like, huh. Less people to race. all
0: right. <laughs> hey, what are some of the biggest challenges in your training, you know, when you're a youngster? So a lot of kids out there obviously will not train at the moment because we can't, but mm. if they're in the pool, you know, you've got some people who are brilliant kickers but they can't pull. You've got some people mm. who love a pool set but can't kick. What sort of things did you sort of have to try and improve and overcome as you went through? Was it underwater, dives, turns? Oh,
1: to be really honest, I wasn't very good at most things. Like <laughs> – I know that sounds really weird, but (laughs) I like endurance was the one thing that I could do Mm -hmm. and everything else I had to work on. Yeah. Like I'm not very good at starts, turns, underwater, kicking, pulling, and yet somehow I can swim. And so (laughs) I think like kicking was probably the worst, the absolute worst. Mm -hmm. And I didn't enjoy doing it. And it has made me cry. Yeah. Like I have memories of being in Threadbo doing a training camp and one of my teammates just patting me on the head because I'm just crying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like toughness; it's just like I just I couldn't understand. And I remember, like, even in my last years of swimming, I was asking people and would look and watch people how they kicked underwater because yeah. I was like, maybe I'm not doing this technically correct. <laughs> yeah, but I just I don't know. It's just something I could never get a hold of. So I probably probably kick was something that I always needed to work on. Okay, and I guess because. I do, I used to be a six beat kicker. And then when I went to two beat, um, well that maybe that's a sign of how bad I wasn't kicked. <laughs> they were just like, maybe just cut that out. Yeah, together. Maybe <laughs> just start pulling. <laughs> yeah. well, well, that's how actually like we found out that like how I started doing the two beat kick. Cause yeah. my, I was doing band only as, um, for t- some technique work mm. and I was doing the same times <laughs> <laughs> as when I like do freestyle. So like, Oh, we started looking at some videos and, um, we were like, oh, this person does two beat. Let's give that a go. So, you know, maybe you can turn your weaknesses into a
0: strength. <laughs> <laughs> but was it hard transitioning for you from a junior athlete to an elite athlete? I mean, we just talked about their obviously kick and underwater and certain skills. But were there any areas of training uh, or, or, you know, things outside of training that you needed to improve to make that transition?
1: Um, I think for me it was just mentally tra- tra- Like, um Having that transition from being maybe like an age grouper to open, yeah. Um, like I, because because I trained so much from such a young age, like I did quite well in age group. Um, and you know, in your age group training, change, changing from age group to open is so different. And I remember, I think for me, one of the big ones was, um, I think I was, I was, old, I wasn't old enough to qualify for a um, for open nationals. I think I was fourteen or thirteen. And I, But I went and did one of the warm-up days, and I just remember the size of guys. Mm. Like, they were so large. Like, they were, <laughs> I think, what I imagined a 30-year-old to be, but they yeah. weren't. They were, like, 17-year-old boys. Yeah. But they were, like, I think for me, the mentally was the, mentally was the really hard thing, changing from age to open, because you're used to versing people, you know, the same size as you, um, maybe developing at the same time as you. Um, and so that was easy to, like, I guess, wrap your head around. And then when it goes to open, it's just such a different ball game because you have people that are, you know, really good age groupers. You have mm. people who are really good in their um, 17, 18. You have good 20-year-olds. And you have people that are still swimming at 25, 26 who are like Olympians. Yeah, and it's yeah. just such a, like a mixed bag. And I think that for me was a really nerve-wracking thing. Mm. Um, I know a lot of my swimming was based off feeling familiar um, with, say, venues and that sort of thing. So going from age to open was so out of my comfort zone that that's what i think was the hardest thing for me wrapping my head around not knowing competitors um you know looking different different sizes um different strengths that sort of thing
0: well talk to me about then what your experience was like your first senior team in uh, in shanghai with the world champs 2011 i mean obviously yeah, you, know, you talk about there, you know, that transition and looking up to these guys who are 17, 18. I mean, what what were you going through then going into your first, you know, world champs team? What was that experience like?
1: Um, that was that was a good a good experience, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it had to happen, I guess. Yeah. I remember um I really I like that was sort of the first year that I really um put everything into my swimming, I think. Like I I just I think they had made um I had found out that the 1500 Freestyle for women was um, a World Championship event, mm-hmm. and I saw that as like my best way to make the team. And it was going to be my first open team, so I put so much work into working towards you know fifteen hundred freestyle for women's, um, and I made the team. That, um, and that was like my first trials making the team. And I remember. Going to Macca's on that last night and crying because yeah. I was so scared
2: because
1: <laughs> everyone was like Queenslanders yeah. and I was
2: from New South Wales, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not going to know anyone." And I was like, "Why did I make this a goal?" Like, <laughs> but then once I was there, like, and getting to know everyone and settled down, like, like I said, like I'm based off like feeling familiar. Mm. Um, once I got there, I was feeling a lot more calm, um, but I do remember. I think it was the day before my race. I think I only, I only had the one, which is the fifteen hundred freestyle. Yep, yep. And so I put a lot of, not pressure on myself, but you know, it was like you only got one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember having a nightmare that Brant Bear, so who was my coach at the time, um, couldn't come to the couldn't come to the day of heats. Mm. And I remember having that nightmare, and then I woke up. And he messaged me being like, I'm really unwell and I can't come today. (laughs) And I was like, "It (laughs)
2: Um,
1: but I think I can't even remember how I actually swam. I know I didn't do very well. And I think I was way off my PB Mm. and I was really disappointed, but I can't actually remember the time or anything. Um, But I think, I think it was just hard because the amount you train and, but compared to how quick the event is over is so different. Mm. Like it's, you trained for years and, you know, the prep beforehand, you, you know, the um, staging camp beforehand and then one event and it was like a heat for the 15 and I didn't make the final. So it was just like, and it's over. <laughs> and I think that was like the hardest part about it. Yeah. It's like, oh, but then you also, you know, after World Champs, you know, you have a couple of weeks off, you reflect on it and then you're like, all right, let's go again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mate, big names on that team, and obviously you mentioned there, you know, uh, you struggled at first to, to see how you would fit in. I mean, there was hmm. names like Liesl Jones, Steph Rice, I think Jeff Hugo was on that team. Did anyone, you know, take you under their wing? Did you get to sit down and have a chat to anyone and make you feel a bit more comfortable?
1: Oh, yeah, everyone. Like, yeah. everyone was lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's. I think I'm, I'm a bit of an anxious person anyway, so I think it was. it's more like the unknown rather than um, anything else. And I think most of my squad was was on the team too. So there was definitely that support there um, coming onto the team. So once I was there and we were all together as a team, um, I really settled in from there.
0: And I want to talk to you about some of the coaches you've had over the years, and and I'll get mm-hmm. to Vince in a bit further down the track. Um, but I, I wanted to mention some names for you, and if you could give me a little bit of an insight into just sort of how they helped shape you as an athlete. So we'll we'll start with your name. We'll start with Mary Sortwell.
1: Okay, um, I reckon she from the start. It that's what's shaped my I guess just work ethic. Yeah. Like I remember doing 10, butterfly, oh, <laughs> like
2: God damn. some of
1: my, and like 10, 400s on a Monday morning, yep. like iconic sets Yeah. from when I was young. And I remember like, say like the 10, 400s, you'd just like get in and you would start the set because <laughs> you'd have to get out. Like by the time you, fit, I think they were on like 730, mm-hmm. like the, the time cycle. So you'd have to just do 400s until you had to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah definitely uh developed a work ethic um from my grandma for sure
0: now one thing about mary that i remember because i did a little bit of work down there at canterbury was that if you weren't there on time she'd lock the front door (laughs) so did you ever get locked out (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) um that was brutal and i remember because because she was my grandma like if i wasn't at training she would call home yeah And be like, where are you? And I remember this one particular instance, um, the alarm clock was on like the phone and it's an FM radio. I don't know. You know, those 90s FM radio. Yeah. Anyway, I was playing around in my parents' room and they had one of those radios and I didn't know how to turn it off. So I just turned the volume all the way down. Mm -hmm. And left the room. <laughs> and so then the alarm had gone off in the morning, but the volume was all the way down. And apparently she called my parents being like, where are they? Mm-hmm. He was like, I don't know, the alarm didn't go off. And I just remember sitting in my room like, oh, I'm in trouble.
0: <laughs> Mate, I tell you what, like I, that idea, right, to, to lock the door, um, <laughs> I thought, you know what, what a great idea. So when I first got my my first sort of head coaching job, Mm. Uh, And there was a few people that were constantly late So I thought, right I remember Mary used to lock (laughs) the front door So the first day I I told him, I gave him fair warning So I gave him like a two week trial I said, I'm going to lock the front door Anyway, Monday comes and I lock the front door well, I had about five complaints that afternoon, and the boss brings me in and says, Robbie, you can't do that. You're going to have to let them in at any time. I'm like, well, Mary, Mary does it. So that it only obviously works for Mary, and I should have just left yep. it at that. <laughs> right, what about uh, John Shaw?
1: Yes. Okay. John Shaw, I think, really brought back my enjoyment for swimming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, when I moved to John, I think I was really lost. It was, like, a little bit in, like, when I was not tossing up whether or not to keep swimming. Like, I knew I was going to keep swimming, but I think I because I had worked so hard from a really young age, I took it really seriously. Like, you know those kids where it's just, like, you take this too seriously at too young. You're not going to – you'll burn out. That yeah, was me. Yeah. And so I think training with John really brought back that joy for swimming and, like, I guess I had a more – relaxed view of swimming while still training hard. Like we still did like the Christmas set of like 10 100s, Mm. but I remember we had like um, chocolate lint balls Mm -hmm. like up on the deck. And so you do one, I'd have one, (laughs) got sick at the end. But, you (laughs) know, it brought back that like, you know, you can work really hard and Mm. still enjoy it. Like you can still have fun. It's okay to enjoy yourself as well. While I used to have the mindset of, I'm here to train and that is it and you will not <laughs> smile or enjoy this. Like just do,
0: you know, I, I was
1: a very serious person, so he definitely helped me remind myself that, you know, this is something that I take seriously and want to, you know, succeed in. But you need to enjoy it too and enjoy the environment and the people that you're with because otherwise, you know, it's going to be a really dull time yeah. even like you can achieve goals but not, in, not be happy.
0: Absolutely. Um, what about yeah. Tony Shaw?
1: Tony Shaw. Tony Shaw really helped me. You know, go go from that stage of okay, let's put everything into it. Um, I think Tony also gave me. I I think I was a bit. What's the? Not. I wasn't not confident, but I wasn't very sure of myself. Yeah. Uh, Tony Shaw. Um, he helped really. Like. One be like, your, your best. One of your best. He, helped, I guess, be like, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm all right, and he was like, you can do well, and I think I had never actually thought of that. Mm. I was just, you know, like I was, oh, I take this seriously, and I want to do well, but I don't think I will. Yeah. Um, and so I think training and working with Tony really, he was, you know, used to be like, you know, you've got to, you have to believe in yourself to be able to do it. Yeah. Because he was like, you know, I know you can do it, but if you don't think you can, then there's no point. And yeah. that, for me, was like a big part of it because I think I was like, oh, if I just work really hard, something will come, something will work. Mm. But it, I definitely had to realise, you know, I have to want this and actually think that I can achieve it to achieve it.
0: You're selling yourself a bit short.
1: Yeah. Like, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes the swimmers where, you know, there's always goals and so, once we achieve one, you just make another one. And so you rarely have time to look back and reflect and say, you know, that was really good. And so sometimes you'll do things and they sort of almost, you don't realize that you're achieving them because you make new goals after you've achieved them. Mm. And so you don't sometimes have that chance to go, you're doing really well. Like congratulations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mate, what about Brant Best?
1: Brant Best, I think definitely took me to the next level in terms of mentally and like, I guess more, um, strategic training. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So in terms of, um, my understanding of, um, sets, like I used to just, like I used to just get a session, I'd do it and I wouldn't question anything or, and I'd just be like, yeah, I'm sure this is good for my swimming and do it while he sort of developed my understanding. I think around, um, I guess really specific sets for, my stroke and for distance swimming, yeah. and understanding that my like correlation between um, certain sets and my racing. So like training and racing, like I used to be a really good trainer, but I couldn't sometimes that wouldn't come across in my racing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and he really taught me that connection between, what training so say like um that was my first introduction to like stroke rates and stroke counts yeah and i was just like this doesn't matter (laughs) you know at the start (laughs) i was just like this seems important for you but like to know as a coach but not for me as a swimmer Um, and then i found out everyone knows about that but (laughs) (laughs) like that really then i noticed you know that like in terms of stroke count Mm. um you know i was really consistent and that was a big part of my race for 1500 like i could maintain the same stroke rate and stroke count for you know 1200 meters and there's increase at the last hundred like that like that's what he really shaped i guess my strategic knowledge of distance swimming
0: Mm. Mm. yeah brilliant mind um just with a bit of work i did up there in in queensland for those four or five Mm. years and and getting to spend a little bit of time with brant just through albany creek yeah yeah brilliant mind and again i you know helped uh, my knowledge as well i remember one day he came out to the pool and uh, to help one of the junior you know training camps i was doing and um Mm. And he said, "Okay, you know, Rob, what set are we doing?" I said, "Oh, we're going to do a speed set. You know, we're going to do this, this, and this." He goes, sure, show me what it is." He goes, "Oh, we're doing a speed set?" And I say, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, that's not it." I said, "Okay, let's, um, <laughs> let's, and and because you know, as, as you said, like, and I'm, I was very similar. Like, you know, I'm still learning, and so I said, Sweet, mm. let 'Sweet, let's let's, you know, map it all out.' So we, you know, sat down for five or ten minutes and went through it and dissected it and came back with you know a much better set and. Um, you know, I learn a lot. Yeah. I learn a lot. Definitely a, a very bright mind in swimming. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And very like innovative, like there's like definitely like old school, tr- like coaching and training. Mm. And then there's newer stuff. And I feel like he ha- does that good combination of both. Like I was still doing like maybe like 65 K weeks. Um, yeah. But the management of like making sure that, you know, I think like Monday was aerobic to make sure to set up for like a Monday afternoon, Um, like three sets of 10 100s, you know, A1, A2, um, ATs sort Mm. of stuff. And, like, I had never done that before. And so, like, he's definitely very on the ball and with developing that understanding. And I think, like, when you understand what you're doing in training and how it affects your racing, you as a swimmer, you feel like you have more control over your race. Like, I, I remember when I was younger, you know, I'd do a race and it would be like okay, that was a good race. Don't know why though. Like yeah, it was almost yeah, like, yeah. well, well, that was like yeah. luck. Yeah. And so I feel like as soon as you correlate something with luck, say if it's a bad race, you're like, well, that was a bad race. Mm-hmm. Unlucky. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
1: but say if you have, you know, four bad races in a row, it's like, well, what's going on there? And you mm-hmm. can't um, link it to anything. Mm-hmm. Well, like once you have an understanding of what you're doing in training, you can, you know, say if um, – when i've started to focus more on speed work say i might notice that my 400 goes really well but my 15 falls off because i haven't been doing enough aerobic mm-hmm. but i never used to have that knowledge because i'm be like oh that's up for the coach to know yeah,
2: yeah you know, yeah. but
1: i think as you get older you also know that you have that responsibility as an athlete to be aware of what um what sort of i guess the layout of your training and how that's impacting your racing
0: absolutely but you've been in, you know, many high-pressure situations with Olympics and World Champs finals and, you know, how do you find your best way of, of coping with situations, say, marshalling area and, and before the races? Mm-hmm. I mean, we hear so much these days about trying to get the right, you know, arousal levels for, for each individual. Um, yeah. How did you sort of get ready for your races best? Did you have to stay pretty chilled and relaxed or did you have to sort of pump yourself up?
1: Um, I think I tend to get really like physically nervous. Like I would notice a lot of like, um, like I always get, would get like heart, my heart would race. I would sweat a lot. Um, so I found like, say listening to pump up music would be horrible Yeah. because I think, I I don't know. I don't know. I think I feel like I'd have a heart attack or something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but like. I always, the way that I managed it was relating it back to, like, I guess um, some people say, say if you're nervous in the marshalling area and you, you're like, oh, my heart's racing and I'm sweating heaps, um, I must be really nervous. I would try and correlate it back to, like, um, I guess what's going on physiologically. So I would say, look you know, this is your body getting ready to race. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a positive thing. Um, It's creating more adrenaline because, you know, it's getting ready and it's a good thing that it's getting ready to race. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, you know, adrenaline just means you're going to perform well. Adrenaline means that, you know, you're not going to feel pain as much as if you didn't have this feeling. Um, So I tried to look at it from a very, like, I guess, mental and physical way. And Mm -hmm. just telling myself, you know, even though it feels uncomfortable right now, this is the best thing for your body and telling it that this is a normal state to be in. Because I think I used to try and I'd feel that way and I'd try and undo it. Yeah. So I'd try and calm down, but that wasn't actually what was ideal for my racing. Mm. And so sometimes you have to go, this feels uncomfortable and I feel nervous. Um, But that's good because that means I'm ready to race. It means I care about my swimming. It means I, you know, all this, like I've done all this work and this one moment is here and it'd be weird not to feel this
0: nervous. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any uh, pre-race playlists? I mean, what was? Did you did you ever listen to music before your races? Or
1: yes, it would de- it would depend on what meet it was because okay. some I would try and talk to people because that like that helped me get ready, mm-hmm. but when it got to international, like, you know, before an Olympic final, people don't really want to talk to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like people are focused on their own race or something. Yeah, no, um, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I did have, like, um, I remember having, like, an Olympic playlist, mm-hmm. um, and I had things, like, one of them I specifically remember is, like, um, Defying Gravity, From Wicked the Musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Because it like, it builds up Mm -hmm. and it gets me like, I don't know, that's how I see my race sort of go, like building into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that was my go-to to get me in like a good state.
0: Now, I want to take you back to 2015 World Champs in Kazan and what I regard as one of, if not your biggest and best individual performance in the 400. Um, you also went on there to do really well in the 800 and the 15 and think you finished fourth and fifth. And firstly, overall, the performances at these championships, I mean, what did you put that down to? Well, I mean, was it a case of you're, you're more experienced now? So you're starting to handle things a bit better or, you know, was that preparation and that block of training leading up to it mm-hmm. just a lot better?
1: Um, I think my block of training was the hardest training I've ever done. It was the most I've ever cried. Um, so in terms of that, like that was, that was a lot. Um, I think as well, you know, when I was on, like, I remember this really well, it stuck with me, um, going into the staging camp, like me and Vince had had like, not a fight. What's what's a better word for that? Uh, A disagreement where we were quite like (laughs) feisty with each other. Yeah. And he was just like – and that was, you know, how we talked earlier about, like, me sort of doubting myself. Mm. Um, that was sort of like a recurring theme that came up for me when mm-hmm. it came to international racing. Um, and sort of he was – like, I wasn't training very well when I was on this staging camp. It was like, it's just in your head. You need to sort it out. And I was like, it's not in my head. It's real. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, he was sort of just like, you know, we had a really good conversation mm-hmm. after the mm-hmm. – yeah. where we disagreed. <laughs> um, and that really – I don't know. I think he was just like, you know, this is like you train really hard and it's you know, like I was doing a disservice to myself by not believing in what I was doing because yeah. I would train really hard and I would believe that, you know, I can do this. And then when I got to that moment, I would be like, I don't deserve this. And he was just like, you do, you do the work. What is it? And that took a lot of work to sort of try and undo that, you know, oh, I'm sure someone else has worked harder and they deserve it more than me. Mm. And so that was the main thing in that staging camp where he was just like you work hard for this you need to figure this stuff out because you know it's going to affect your racing and you're going to keep working really hard for years and then come to a major meet and not do well not because you can't do it because you think you can't do it yeah um and so for me that was a major major thing and i think why i was able to swim so well at kazan because kazan's like even in terms of just like um performance-wise the best i've done but Mm. like mentally the clearest i've ever been and i I couldn't even tell you like why i was clear but you know they talk about athletes being in the zone Mm. um where you know you do a race and you don't actually remember it and that's how i was yeah and that's how like that's how my races were that's how that whole week is like i think i remember racing wearing paddles eating like pasta (laughs) and um there was a mosquito in my room that's all (laughs) i remember like that's all i remember from that meat because I think I was just so like locked in. I don't know. It was really. All
0: you remember is that damn mozzie.
1: <laughs> there was like three in my room and it got to the point where I couldn't find them that I, um, in my like duna cover, mm. I put myself in the duna cover so they couldn't bite me <laughs> and I put all the buttons up to my neck, like sealed it. So, cause I was like, they're not going to bite me on my face. And I woke up with three big mosquito bites on my cheek. And I was like, "That's that's oh. not a part of the rules." You're not know, like I sealed myself in my doona.
0: Who were you rooming with at that time? And please tell me they thought you were going uh, nuts.
1: No, well, I was rooming with Tessa
0: Wallace. <laughs> yeah, bless you. She's yeah. still
1: friends with me. Yeah, um, but I, I was actually sick that week, so I was rooming by myself because I had to be like quarantined. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Mate,
0: so, no, you shouldn't have to hear about them <laughs> Mate, like all of us, um, you know, I know you are a massive fan of Katie Ledecky. So, what was your mindset going into the race against someone, for lack of a better term, that you sort of fangirled over? I mean, you managed to put aside, you know, that sort of stuff and obviously get that bronze medal in the 400 and do a really good job. But was it a matter of just focusing on what you can control and not what you can't?
1: Um, definitely I'm a big believer in that, like even in just in life, like focusing on what you can do cause you can't control what other people can do. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so there's no point thinking about it. Like, and I think as well, like it's t- not as bad as this seems like it's not, it's not the case now with Ariane, which is good, but like, mm. I think everyone was very much like, okay, so Katie's first, let's <laughs> race for second and third. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was sort of like the perception at the time. Um, but as well, like to be honest for the 400, like I, I wasn't, very strong at the 400
2: Mm.
1: like my my, like my perception is unlike my speed wasn't very good so I think the why I did so well in it is because I didn't have any expectations like I wasn't Mm. as nervous as the 8 or 15 because you know the 8 and 15 especially the 800 I'm like you know this is my baby but with the 400 I was like ah it's too short yeah
2: yeah (laughs) so
1: doing it like I didn't go in there with expectations I looked at it as oh an an opportunity to do another swim Mm.
0: because
1: um you know I at the time you know like in my first one I only had one race and it was a heat of a 1500 so by the time I got to Kazan and I got to do you know the eight the 15 the four heats and finals I was like yeah give me all the swims um but I think yeah I think not having that pressure or the own pressure coming from myself to to do well meant that I was able to do well
0: Mm. Hey, do you have yeah. a do you have a Katie Ledecky story? I know, as I said, we're, we're all big fans of hers. I mean, racing her, yeah. competing—you would have been, you know, in the marshalling area with her a fair bit. Do you have any stories uh, of that?
1: I think my favourite Katie Ledecky story—I can't remember if it, this is—it's definitely from a fifteen hundred. I can't remember if it, if it was in Kazan. Yeah, I think Kazan. Um, we were in the same heat together. Mm. And I remember touching the wall and I'd done a PB in the heat. And I was like, awesome, done a PB in the heat. <laughs>
2: yeah. And
1: then she had broken the world record. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, we were like, I think she was in the lane next to me. So I was like, oh, like, congrats. Yeah, yeah. She was like, oh yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I did a PB too. <laughs> like, <laughs> with my congratulations. <laughs> but, you know, like. I think she's she's doing a good job. Like, she's so young and she obviously just works so hard.
0: Mm. Um, so good on it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 100%, mate. For those yeah. of us who uh, who sit at home on the lounge and marvel at what you guys do as athletes and achieve and give us a little uh, idea into what you guys do in sort of race plan wise and what you and the coach sort of piece together. So let's say, you know, you're 400. What, what was your race plan for Kazan in that 400?
1: I don't know if I have a race plan for 400. <laughs> it's too short. <laughs> in, in my head, my race plan for 400, and this is going to sound silly, but no, it's, it's okay. just like go out hard, yeah, but um, not too fast. Mm-hmm. The second hundred, don't let it drop off too much. You want it to be like just a little bit slower than the first hundred. Mm-hmm. In the third hundred, you want to really make sure that that doesn't drop off. Yeah. <laughs> make sure, make sure that's around the same time as the second hundred, yeah. and then really bring it home in the last one.
0: Mate, that's super always, scientific.
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just remember, like, whenever I speak to Vince about it, he'd, he'd, you know, we'd go through it, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty much going hard the whole way, isn't it? <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, pretty much. See you later. <laughs>
0: How have you seen race plans differ? I mean, you've been, as I said, had a few coaches there. Take me through like say an eight or a 1500. How have those race plans through say like a Brant Best or a Vince or a, you know, a a John Shaw, how have the race plans differed?
1: Well, I think race plan wise for like 815 has actually stayed pretty much the same, Mm -hmm. which is like, I I feel like you should do whatever comes most naturally to you. So for me it was negative splitting. Yeah. and that always, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I've, I've always negative split it just naturally without before I even understood what race plans were. Yeah. Um, I think just being, from being an age group or where I didn't want to like die. So I was just like, oh, I'll go slower at the start and then <laughs> go fast. Yeah, yeah. And then as I you know, progressed as an open swimmer, I learned how to like what that line was so that I would be able to negative split but like i guess manage my the amount of energy so that and lactate so that you know even though if it was a negative split by just like a second um it wouldn't feel like i was dying and understanding i guess the perception of what's going fast at the start and i don't know i don't know it's hard to explain i don't know how to explain how i felt doing it
0: (laughs) (laughs) i knew what you meant though it's okay i I knew what you meant like
1: to me to me when i do the race like say 800 my best 800s, I feel like I'm swimming the same speed all the time. Yeah. And then it's a negative split. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I just build up into it. Like my natural system. Um, I swim faster once I have a bit of fatigue under my belt. Mm Mm-hmm. But to me, I just feel like I'm getting tired. <laughs> but the clock says otherwise. <laughs> hey,
0: 2016 Rio Olympics, uh, your second Games. Is there such mm-hmm. a thing as getting used to an Olympic Games? I mean, with all the big meets oh, yes. that you've been to and you've done, <laughs> uh, had you or and you'd already been to London, I mean, did you feel more comfortable the second time around? Or is it like, you know, the big show and it's still the big show no matter how many times you've been there?
1: Mm, I think I, def- I definitely felt a lot better um, for Rio Olympics. Like, I think I think for me, like, it was an age thing as well. Like, you know, you develop as a person as well as a swimmer. So I yeah. think when I went to London Olympics, I was 18 or 19. Yeah, um,
0: what were you 23 think, by Rio?
1: Yeah, just a whole different person, yeah, really. <laughs>
0: yeah, t- t- that was true, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I think, like, my perception at London – I really took on other people's thoughts. I say people were like, the main goal when I was that age was let's make the Olympics. Let's make the team. Let's mm. make the team. And so when I made the team, that was the peak, but I had it planned for after making the team. Yeah. Like it was like made the team. And I was like, Oh, I have to keep training now. Like you can't take a break <laughs> yeah. and celebrate. And then that's the hard work done. Um, so I think that, having that perception and then you know a lot of people say oh good luck but you know it's great just being there Mm. and I think I played into that a lot like I was like oh like I worked trained really hard but when I got there that self-doubt I was like look it doesn't matter what happens you got here
2: Mm.
1: and so like that's fine to have that um perspective but I think I'm very like goal oriented, so I should have you know had had a different goal in terms of maybe a time or what I wanted out of the event other than just attending. Um, and so I think that was the difference at Rio, you know, I had a really specific goal. Like I knew for that, I uh, like my, my, my main thing's my 800. I love my 800 yeah. my beautiful baby. Um, <laughs> and I knew like I wanted to do an 816, and I knew how I wanted to do it. I knew, you know, what foods I had to eat, what time I had to go to sleep. Um, you know, that was very like a perfectly curated goal and how I wanted to do the race and everything like that. Um, and I think I definitely had the confidence in my ability to be able to do it. And I knew like, you know, I've done this training. I know this isn't like an achievable goal and I want to achieve this and I'm going to put everything into it. So I think a very different, like, um, frame of mind for different Olympics for sure.
0: Although you were just outside your best uh, at those games, you still did really well individually and you finished fifth in the 800, I think seventh in the 400, um, and you were part of the silver medal, you know, four by 200-meter freestyle relay. How how do you look back on those games in terms of, you know, your uh, performances?
1: Um, Not necessarily, like, not positively or negatively. Like, I think Kazan was probably, like, the best I had done performance-wise. Like, I see that more as a peak, I guess. Um, but not necessarily like negatively. Like I think after the 800, because I say I knew that I wanted to do an 816, because yeah. I knew that that would get a silver medal. And say like that. I think it was um, like um, who? Oh, what's her name? I can't even think of it. She's a friend of mine. That's terrible. <laughs> but she did an 816 and yeah. she got silver. Yeah. And so to me, it was like I guess I see it as I set a goal and I didn't achieve it. And that's okay because Mm. it's like, I don't know. I feel like if I achieved that goal, that's why I would keep having that. Okay, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. And I still feel like, I don't know. I'm like, oh, I probably could have done that, you know, maybe a few years later if I, you know, kept training and kept going, but I didn't get there and that's okay. Like I feel almost better not having achieved 8.16. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why, but it's just like, At the time, I'm like, did I do everything I possibly could? Mm. Yes. So it's just like, well, then there's nothing I could possibly be mad at. Mm. Like, I think me and Vince looked at the race and it was like, we should have um, done, I would have done altitude. I think I should have taken my altitude. Like, altitude was a big part for me that I noticed um, I got a lot out of. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I think I should have taken my tent over with me and done it for like an extra two weeks. I think it was the only thing that I was like, oh, that's the only thing I would have changed. And I don't, like, regret, you know, I don't regret that. I think if I looked back and I was like, oh, you know, I took this time off or, um, you know, I should have dealt more, you know, seeing a psych to um, manage, like, belief in myself. Like, if, I, if I had those things, I think I would have viewed the Olympics as uh, more negatively. But I think because of the amount of effort and things that, are, like, holistically I'd put in to put together, um I'm just, like, very satisfied would yeah. be the word. Well, it's yeah. kind of
0: going back to what we said before, isn't it? You know, focus on what you can control and not what you can't. And, you know, you did the best yeah. you could and and the results were what they were.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's how I felt about it. And I was just like, like, I think I remember Vince feeling really bad for me. Mm. And I was like, don't worry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we did everything we could, <laughs> like <laughs>
0: you
1: know. Um, so, yeah, yeah.
0: Mate, speaking of, um, you know, people's expectations and things like that, before we finish up on the Rio stuff, Mm -hmm. I wanted to touch on something that I read whilst doing my research. I like to be very well researched on this show. (laughs) Um, And it was an article that you wrote for Athletes Voice, I think it was last year, and it struck a chord with me because it was Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I started doing this podcast in the first place. Now, in the article, uh, you say that when you got out of the pool, I think it was in the 400, and you walked Mm -hmm. over to be interviewed after it, the... um, Um, you know, the interviewer said, so were you expecting a medal? Now, Mm. I don't want to get stuck into the media asking questions like this because it infuriates me and I will end up finding myself in trouble and upsetting a lot of people. So, I know you very well and I also know that you're very (laughs) diplomatic and you will have a, a much more controlled approach to this. So, how uh, you never know (laughs) well who knows but what you know give us a little insight into you know what it's like as an athlete having a camera shoved in your face after a major race like this um you know giving every after just giving everything you've had in the pool
1: Mm. i think um i guess if you look at the life of an athlete like say before olympics and everything you know we we train all day every day hours and hours and hours um for years, yeah, but that, that's not filmed. And then um, it comes to Olympics and it's just like, we love swimming.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> and, you know, people are like, oh, we're really excited for the swimming this year. And then, you know, I'm like, it's not an Olympic year. Like, oh, you know, people like, <laughs> people's knowledge of it isn't 100%, mm. but, you know, you're still doing your personal, you know, you're grinding every day, working really hard. And then you go to an Olympics and you still see it as, you know, your private journey. Yeah. And so you do a race. And so, you know, every other race you've done in your life, you say, if you don't do the best time or you don't get the best outcome, you touch the wall, you look at it, you talk to your coach, you deal with it. Mm. And so Olympics is the only time where, you know, you have this private journey for four years, eight years. Um. And then you go to Olympics and your private journeys, like you go to handle it as a <laughs> private journey. Yeah. And then people have expectations and you're like, oh, I have to answer to other people. Mm. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess it takes like, it almost, not takes away from your experience, but you, you realize, oh, there's other people counting on this outside of myself. And this is the first time that's happened for four years. And yeah. I have this expectation of other people that have just popped up periodically. Um, So I think that's that's definitely the hard part. I think for me, when I got out of that race, I was reflecting on, you know, especially you touch the wall, you look at it, you have about a minute, you climb out of the water, you're still, you're puffed, you're exhausted, Mm. you're thinking about, say, if it's a good race, oh, okay, I nailed this. What's next? Okay, do I need to recover? I need to do this. What's on tomorrow? I need to eat. I need to see my coach. And that's Mm. the sort of, I guess, practical things you're thinking about. So say, like, after that race, I was like, oh, that wasn't good. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I wonder what went wrong. Is it going to be like this for the rest of the week? God, I hope not. Okay, what do we need to do to make sure this doesn't happen again for the rest of the week? And then, so, you, you know, you're really, I guess, internally thinking about what's going on for you so that you can be a good swimmer. And so then got out and it's like, I think, I think the question, he said that um, like we were expecting a medal because it was the year before I had gotten bronze. Yeah. And I think, you know, it it was one of those times where it was, I wasn't expecting myself to get a medal Mm. because I was like, well, my thing's 804 um, and 1500, Mm. but you also know public perception comes into play. So say, I can't, I know that I can't say, oh, I wasn't expecting to get a medal <laughs> in this because people back home be like, well, why are you swimming at the Olympics in this event? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's really hard because you then have to, you get out from having this personal journey and you've got your own things going on. And you've seen, like I've grown up and I've watched TV and I've seen people do well and say that they're proud of themselves. Um, and, you know, people have spoken badly about that. People have, you know... Gotten silver and been disappointed, and they've been, you know, that's been a negative outcome. Yeah. Like it's, re- there's rarely a time where I've seen someone get less than gold, and whether they are happy, sad, crying, cheerful, I don't know, n- feeling nothing, and there's not a negative response
2: back. Yeah, and
1: so I think I think it's a really awkward place for swimmers, and sometimes that's why I don't know. I find it a bit cringy because you know we see. You know, I, you sort of know a safe answer to say you can't actually say how you're actually feeling about it, and I think that's really disappointing because you're the one that puts in all the work, and you should be able to say at the end of the day, you know, if you get silver, that you know, oh, I'm disappointed because I did want gold, and you know, people sh- can't have you know can't have that opinion to say, well, that's too, mm. you know, that you sh- you can't feel that way. And it's like, well, you didn't, you're not going through this journey. This is my journey, and this is how I'm feeling.
0: Absolutely, um, and I, yeah, I, I've always thought that. I mean. I've always thought, for, from a fan's perspective, that we want to hear what you guys have to say and exactly what you're feeling and the brutal honesty of it. And the mm. people that don't want to do that and don't want to hear that will then give you guys time to reflect and yeah. you know, go talk. You know, talk, do a press conference or whatever after the meet's done and you've swum down. You've talked to your coach and you've had a feed and you, mm. you know, you're feeling a lot more relaxed and you've had time to reflect on it. And obviously you know, uh, either justify what's happened and and all that sort of stuff. But if you're going to shove a camera in someone's face, you know, directly after they're finished, well, you know, you should get what you get That's and and you should be happy. Well, do you know what I mean though? Like that's how you're feeling because almost as what you were saying just before, we we almost then expect you guys to put on a a fake kind of um, idea of what we want an athlete to talk like rather than what you guys individually are feeling.
1: Yeah. And like I, I get both sides of it. Like I, I understand what people want. Like I could understand being at home and wanting to see people happy all the time. <laughs> yeah. But but I think also like the 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 most beautiful thing about sport is like the emotion that comes with it, whether that's succeeding or failing. And you know, because say you have a bad Olympics in London, and but your answer on TV is. Oh, I'm really happy with that. I'm just happy to be here. And yeah. then you do a, a Rio, and you do amazing, yeah. and you're super happy. You can't. I don't know. You, your own personal um, journey, it, I feel like, is tainted because you feel like you have to behave differently. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I feel like people would want to see that difference. You know, say if you were saying I felt really let down, or even if say say at one olympics you had gotten a silver and you were feeling really disappointed but mm. at your next one you got a silver and you were really happy. Yeah. That's okay because you could have gone through different things.
0: Mm, 100%. And
1: different people, you know, have different experiences like say one of my big goals was like I would just love to get a medal at the olympics. Like that's a big goal, but some people it's like, I want gold. Mm. So then there's going to be a difference when if you both got silver.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Cause it's one person falling short and one person reaching their goal. So there's yeah. going to be different emotions there and that should be okay.
0: hundred percent. And I, I was talking to uh, Gian Rooney, obviously she was mm. uh, earlier in the season on the podcast and she mentioned it as well. And she was saying it actually infuriates her when she hears people down on pool decks say, Oh, I'm okay. You know, I was just happy to be in it when she knows like deep down they were, You know they wanted she wanted to hear them say you know oh you know i really wished i got a medal there that was really what i was after um Mm. and and similar to this discussion you know we sort of went through well it's hard sometimes for the swimmers to say what they want to say because you know so often the next day in the newspaper they come across as ungrateful or too cocky or you know
1: yeah, and that's it that's the thing as well like you know like I said with this swimming is you know you you, you only ever do it for yourself. It's really hard to swim for any other reason other than you know your own goals. Yeah. Um so when other things come into play like media and that sort of thing it creates a different aspect that you're, you well I know for me like I was really hesitant with media for a while. I never wanted to do anything because I was like I've seen what happens. Like I've seen you, if you do the right thing if you do the wrong thing bad things happen mm. and so for years like people would be like oh do you want to do an interview or this and I was like no 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 because I just never wanted I was like I'll just swim
2: because
1: mm. that's all you know some people like that's what that's why people are doing what they're doing they just want to swim yeah. let people swim <laughs>
0: Well, thank God your, uh, your opinions on doing interviews has changed and you've, you've been able to join us today on the All podcast. I'm not swimming anymore.
1: <laughs> Let the people say what they want.
0: <laughs> Mate, uh, Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast, uh, I think would be your final major meet before retiring, which we'll get to yeah. into it in a little bit. But you got a silver medal in the 800. Uh, I think you guys went one, two, three for Australia with Ariane getting gold you got silver and, and Kia Melverton got third um, yep. seventh in the 400 as well when when you look back now you know it was it was really a nice way to, to finish your career in front of your family and friends in a home you know um, in a home games going out with a medal and and I think you know just knowing you personally and, and how um, and how tough and resilient you are I think it was greatly deserved you know that you went out on that note how how do you look back on that
1: Um, yeah, pretty, pretty much as you described it, (laughs) um, like I think that was after Rio, like a really good motivator that I was like a home Commonwealth games, like is so rare. Mm. And I was just like, I really want to be there for that. Yeah. And that was definitely the main motivation, you know, to be in an outdoor pool. I I was keen for that. Um, but also, you know, Australian crowd, family and friends that can actually come and watch you, um, you know, in an international competition. I think that's huge. Um, so in terms of like, um, emotionally with that event, I really enjoyed it. I think my times and swims were not
2: close to being very
1: good, but like, I think like, even if you asked Vince, not that you would, but like, you know, (laughs) um, I think my desire for other things outside of the pool was definitely coming through at that time. Mm -hmm. Like I remember once he called me and he was like, where are you? And I was like, I'm in the library. Why? And he's like, training's on. (laughs) And I was just like what do you mean we don't start till four he's like we have started at three for the past five years (laughs) i'm just like oh and i was like coming like that sort of thing was coming into play Mm. like i was still i was still doing like 70k weeks 10 10, like i was still absolutely training all the time um but yeah i think i think with me i know like mentally i have to be 100 percent in the game um and really knowing that i want it Mm. and i think that was starting to um, my mind was starting to wander with what could be outside. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well you mentioned Vince there and I've saved Vince till now as as he was your last coach. What impact did he have on your career?
1: Um oh, massive. Vince, um oh, I don't want to get all emotional about it. <laughs> no. I think I think Vince um, really emphasized, you know, that um belief that I had to believe in myself or or else. Mm. Or like Or, you know, it would be detrimental to my racing. And I think he's the first, like, that was the first time that I started racing well at international meets um, that were the top meets. Because I had done well, like, say, um, US Grand Prix, I think was like my best 800, you know. So times like that where it was just like, you know, learning to be able to do it at the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. um, and getting into that like right frame of mind he was a big part of that I think as well like understanding my swimming developed a lot like I remember when um I was talking to him about moving up to Brisbane and training with him um and he had asked things about like he'd done actually you know he was my coach on a distance camp
2: Mm.
1: and we were doing a lactate like he was trying to get everyone's lactates up really high And I just kept coming back with a three Mm -hmm. and he keeps looking at me and Vince is really hard to read. And I was like, he's so disappointed. And I was like, (laughs) I'm trying really hard. (laughs) I don't have this in me. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he definitely developed that understanding of like, this is why I want high lactates. This is what we're trying to get here.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And definitely like the hardest I think I've ever worked um, definitely the most kilometers I've ever done definitely the most I've cried definitely like mm-hmm. the most of everything most speed work most distance most kick most pull <laughs> um, just compounding everything um but also like a really like um holistic approach mm-hmm. like he's very um focused on like say um like I started seeing like a psychologist um I saw Tom Barton who was our um physio and like he came in like came to the pool and like him and vince would talk about you know what's going on with us all like he was very wanted to know that every like basically everything that was going on in your life because everything you know at the pool you would notice it to say um like i know vince is very strict on that you're not just swimming so he would always make sure you either had to be studying or had to be working part-time yep um because he was like, there is, you will not be happy just swimming because anything can happen, you know. He's like, if you get sick, if you get injured, you will, like, if swimming's your everything, you will lose everything. Mm. Um, so they say he was really big on that. Um, yeah, just very, like, holistically, uh, like, impacted everything. And I guess work ethic, um, definitely, um, even just, like, the, I guess the culture mm-hmm. of the squad, he has, like, a big, um, big role to play in that um yeah
0: mate by anyone's standards uh, Jess you've had a really you know extremely successful swimming career and, and one that I think any of us would be proud to say we've had what makes all of this even more amazing is that you know you did all of this while suffering from scoliosis now you will have far more knowledge than me on this so <laughs> I'll, I'll let you explain what scoliosis is and then when did it start to affect you in your you know career
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so scoliosis is like a curve of the spine. So everyone's spine's pretty straight. Mine was like an S. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we first noticed it when I was 13 or 14, we'd gotten, cause it's like mostly predominant in girls. And so we got given a pamphlet at school, which was like the different signs of what scoliosis looks like. And it was like, um, uneven hips, uneven shoulders, um, and certain like, you know, the, your shoulder blade popping out, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I had all those things. (laughs) (laughs) So mom and dad are like, yep, off we go to the doctors. Um, and so, yeah, at first they were like, oh, it's just mild. And then, uh, we went and saw a different doctor to get another opinion. Uh, and they said it was severe. (laughs) Uh. Um, so got some x-rays done and they basically said that there's different options with scoliosis. So there's, um, you can wear a brace, which is like you wear a brace for 23 hours of the day, um, you wear it on the outside of your clothes and basically it holds you together so that it's, your, your spine's not in an S shape, it's straight. Mm-hmm. Um, or surgery is basically the other one. Or just wait and see
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> is the third one. Um, and because of the degree, so they measure out the degrees of the curves. Um, and I think at the time when I got mine done, I was like 40, I had two curves, so I think it was like 42 and 46.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so they were like, yeah, um, you can get surgery. And I was like, but I want to swim. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they were like, they looked at like how much pain I was in and I wasn't in any pain with it. Um, so we just talked about managing it, which was basically can't be, wasn't allowed to do anything that was um, impact based. So not anything that included running was yeah. out. Um, I'm not very good at running and not very coordinated. <laughs> so I was more than happy to cut that out. Uh, and swimming was good for it because it was such, it was so low impact and being horizontal and. Um, yeah, they were like, yeah, you can swim for as long as you want. Um, I saw an orthopedic surgeon. He was like, swim for as long as you want, but as soon as you finish, you're going to have to get surgery.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I was like, yeah, deal. <laughs> happy, happy to
0: do that, <laughs> mate. You mentioned there's some of the restrictions. Um, you know what? What other specific? Obviously, you look at uh, athletes now and swimmers now. So often are in the gym and you know doing you know two or three gym sessions a week and all this other stuff. What you know were those sort of restrictions placed on you? And was was that hard for you to? I guess, obviously not hard if you didn't really want to get in the gym in the first place, but (laughs) knowing that all your competitors and stuff were were doing this sort of stuff, was that difficult for you to sort of comprehend?
1: Um, Sometimes yes, sometimes no. You know, um, certain things, so say like at the gym, like I was never allowed to put any weight on my shoulders, so doing weighted squats wasn't an option. Mm -hmm. Um, But my gym coach was really good at, I guess, being able to adapt. Okay, if we can't put weight on your shoulders, but you can do leg press, so that I'd still get the same effect, but without, you know, putting necessarily damaging or making the scoliosis worse. Yeah. Um, so the, I think I dealt with it pretty well in that, like, I saw it as, you know, I never got any injuries in swimming, so I saw it as my injury. Because, you know, like, uh, you hear about different swimmers, like, say, um, the Campbells, they've always inspired me with, like, if they have, like, a shoulder injury or anything, their management of it is so good yeah. that that's how I sort of saw my scoliosis, like, it's fine. Everyone's got something going on. Let's just manage this the best we can, um, and that's definitely the way I saw it when I was swimming. I think the only time I got really frustrated was with it. Was um, I could feel it in the water sometimes, mm. and I would I would get quite um, upset with that because in terms of technique how I felt would be different to what it was. So I feel like when I had scoliosis, I felt dead straight. My own perception of it is I don't have curve, like a curved spine. Yeah. Um, so doing technique work, I do technique work and then we often use a video camera to, you know, to look back on it and it would feel different. Like it would look like I had scoliosis <laughs> Yeah. and, you know, my, one arm would be, you know, over the top of my head and the other one would be out wide and. But to my my perception was that it's straight. And so that sort of frustration definitely came into play when it came to technique work because I had to keep adjusting it based off what I could see, not what I could feel. Yeah. But I'm a feeling-based swimmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it definitely, it definitely um, sometimes would peak, like my frustration and I'd be like, I wish I could just swim straight <laughs> and just be even and yeah. just put my arms in the water where i think they are and it is straight yeah um but like i said like i think i always just saw it as everyone's got their thing that they've got to manage um and this is just mine
0: But how much pain were you in though during your career i mean did it did it have any effect on any other parts of your body um you know did it did it get unmanageable at times especially sort of more towards you know the later in your career
1: Um, I definitely felt towards the end because scoliosis does progressively get worse as well (laughs)
0: um,
1: just because of gravity. Um, Towards the end, I felt it more, but I also don't know if that's just like my own perception and frustration with it increased as I got older. Um, But yeah, I think I I felt it more um, because of international travel. So say like sitting and standing, I like my perception was that I wasn't in very much pain when I had scoliosis. Um, but then when I would talk to people, they're like, oh, well, when are you in pain? And I was like, oh, only if I stand for a long time or sit for a long time. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. It's <laughs> kind of off <laughs>
2: yeah. It's like,
1: oh, yeah, true. Because, like, you know, it's school or uni. Yeah. Um, and so, say for me, like, traveling, international travel when swimming, that was a big one for me that it would take me, you know, a week To feel back to normal in my body, and that's when that peak frustration would happen. Um, And so, like I said, with that um, disagreement with Vince before um, Kazan was about that—that I was like, I don't, my body doesn't feel right, and I was getting really upset. And he was just like, "But you, there's nothing you can do about that. You just got to swim." Yeah. Um. So that was what that main thing was about, and so that that definitely played a role. Um. That feeling out is what i called it i was like i feel out (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and then now that i've I've gotten surgery to correct it and i'm not like it's been a year and a little bit um i'm not in any pain and i'm like oh i was in pain (laughs) yeah yeah
2: yeah,
1: yeah. you know
0: now you (laughs) realize
1: yeah i think it's one of those things like like i said like i think i was diagnosed when i was 14 and i got the surgery when i was 26 that's like you know, 12 years, if my math's right, um, mm. <laughs> of having it. So you don't notice it or you just learn to manage it, mm. which is great. But then afterwards it's like, oh, wow.
0: <laughs> Mate, I've, I've seen the photos of obviously, you know, what your spine looked like before versus what it is now. And you, obviously mm. you talked about having to go in and have corrective surgery. and Bloody hell, mate! You must have—it must have been a pretty daunting sort of experience going in there and letting them play around with your spine. I mean, you're you're a braver person than me because I don't even go to the <laughs> dentist or the doctor. If someone brings out a needle at the doctor's surgery, I'm like a little kid. I just get up and so they've got to bring me a lollipop to make sure I stay there. What, what was that experience like? You know, first of all, I guess going in there knowing what they were going to do, and then you know, post that and and the recovery mm. process and, and getting back to, you know, what you're able to do now?
1: Um, I think beforehand, I was actually excited for it because it'd been so long that I knew that this thing was coming. Um, so, part of me was like, I'm finally getting this done. I'm finally, you know, it's not going to cause any more issues. Um, so, I was more like keen to get in there and get it done. I hadn't, like, I understood the surgery. I knew they were putting poles in,
2: mm.
1: but I didn't – like I said, I haven't been injured. I haven't, I'm not in that much pain yeah. outside of, like, I haven't experienced anything. So then afterwards was the worst time ever. Mm. Like, I, I was going to say, but the worst time of my life, actually the worst time yeah. of my life. I've never experienced so much pain. Um, like, I, th- I thought modern medicine, they block everything out. Like, I thought you wouldn't feel anything. Yeah like for weeks afterwards yeah. um and it just wasn't the case and I remember crying and like I think the medication as well like you're on such heavy painkillers and that's also something like I you know I rarely even I think the only thing I used to take was iron tablets um so to go to that to really heavy um pain medication my body wasn't coping with that um so it was a really a really tough time but I definitely don't regret getting it done Um, And I had really good people around me. Like my um, mum came up to look after me. Um, My partner took some time off work because I think um, they say, you know, normally when you get the surgery done, you're quite young. So when you're first diagnosed, when you're 14, um, so you tend to bounce back a bit quicker when you're 14. So they say, you know, kids were like, oh, the pamphlets are made for children essentially. (laughs) And they're like, you'll be back at school within eight weeks. (laughs) And I was like, excellent. (laughs) Because I was at uni and I, it was my final year of uni. Mm. I had finished swimming. I was like, I want to finish uni this year, that way I can start work. Um, and I think it was three months, and I still couldn't get out of bed without crying. I was crying every day. I could I could barely move. And I was crying and going. It said six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can be back at school. Well,
0: I actually remember seeing you up at Brisbane, uh, I think it was at Albany Creek Leisure Centre for for a morning session. And that was just when you were starting to be able to go out. And it wasn't for very long though. I remember you saying like, I can come, but like, you know, after the session's finished, I've got to make sure I get home and then just go back to like resting again. Because it took a lot on your body to just, you know, be up and moving around.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I remember that morning and I think even looking back at like I was so – because it's a new – it's basically a new spine and so I was trying to fit – like I was walking differently yeah. and I didn't know what parts were fused because I got quite a large amount of my spine fused. But say like I think I wasn't even turning my neck, I was using my body mm. and people were like, your yeah, neck's not fused. I was like, <laughs> oh, right. Like, you know, <laughs> but you're so cautious because you yeah. feel so delicate.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. But, yeah, it was definitely a really long time, like, to recover. Mm. Uh, Mentally, I struggled a lot with it. I ended up seeing a psych, um, a sports psych, actually, but I was like, you know me, um, (laughs) to help me get through it because, you know, you go from being active every day, being able to go outside, see everyone every day to, you know, three months of being in bed. Um, you know, I had all these goals of going to uni, finishing uni, starting work, and those were like falling apart while I was just lying in bed. Mm. Um, but definitely like seeing a psych really helped, you know, um, wrap my head around it a bit better, you know, that not putting my, I guess, personal value in achieving goals, (laughs)
2: um,
1: which was something different for me. But yeah, definitely gave me the opportunity to learn a lot about myself and let people help me. Mm. Um,
0: Yeah. It's funny you talk about um, feeling delicate. I remember um, when I saw you and I came up to give you a hug and I was like, oh, wait, how, like, can I hug her? Do I not? I don't don't know what to do here. I think I wouldn't have known what to do. I'd be like, no
1: one
0: touch me. Another question I had about it was, does your partner Josh mind that that you're taller than him now post-surgery? Because you you did grow a little bit, right? (laughs)
1: Yes, and I am taller than him now. I don't <laughs> think he minds. He's not insecure like that, thank God.
2: <laughs>
1: but I think, yeah, I was. I remember going in being shorter than him and then coming out being taller. Mm. How but much I, did oh, you grow? I How like,
0: much did you grow for everyone listening? I
1: think it was seven centimetres because I think I was 172 growing in
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm 178 or 179 because that's the other thing. You actually keep growing as well afterwards. Like once you're healed, there's still a little bit because your bones sort of Adjust a little bit to it Yeah and I was like, I hope
0: I don't just keep going. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You stopped playing basketball.
1: Yeah, oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mate, I wanted to also say um, congratulations on that article in Athlete's Voice. Um, I thought you wrote, you know, really engagingly, intelligently, honestly, and it was really insightful. Did Have oh, you ever you. thought of going into journalism or, or stuff like that <laughs> with writing? Because being honest, like, you know, doing what I do and, and trying to make things sound, mm. you know, engaging for people to listen to like i I found um what you wrote really compelling
1: oh thank you no i'm not very good at writing um (laughs) i don't know i'm not great like did you have a ghost
0: writer for that then because i thought that was pretty good
1: (laughs) well i think i can write about my own experiences yeah and i enjoy like the opportunity to be like honest and i think i enjoy reflecting on you know past experiences and once they're over and, you know, looking at things with a bit of bit more perspective, I guess. That's why, like, you know, today talking about, like, past Olympics and that sort of thing, like, say after Rio, if you asked me, like, a day after, it would be a different answer to what it is now. Yeah. So I definitely enjoy that um, reflecting on your own um, experiences and how you handle things at a time and, like, how you see it now because I think those do change with how you change. So I enjoyed that opportunity, but, yeah, I'm not very good at actually <laughs> writing about anything else. <laughs> I'm enjoying the work I'm doing, so I think I'll, I'll stick to that.
0: Well, mate, it's funny you bring that up <laughs> into my next question away from the pool now. Uh, almost two years, I think. It's, it's been a while now. Yeah. What, what do you get up to these days and what keeps you busy?
1: Um, I'm a caseworker at um, a men's crisis accommodation at Salvation Army.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I finished my uni degree. Despite the back surgery, I did it online and my partner bought me this um, laptop stand that means you can type while lying down, Very which nice. I still utilize. Yeah,
2: yeah of course. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, so I was, I was lucky enough that um, I pushed through and like got my degree done. Um, I applied for a job with them. I was an associate caseworker for a few months and about a week ago, I got made um, a full-time caseworker.
0: Oh, congratulations.
1: Um, thank you. Yeah, so I'm really enjoying that. It's definitely different to swimming um but I think I I get to draw on a lot of um I guess characteristics that you learn when you're an athlete that you can definitely take on into the outside world so I guess being able to like take on different challenges um is a big one um and having resilience you know in the type of work that I'm doing at the moment Mm. um you know not everything is bright and sunshiny um and so being able to I guess from what I learned in swimming about resilience, you know, making new goals, having setbacks, having setbacks, um, but then you know, pushing through and making other goals and um, figuring out, I guess, things that work for you. Uh, I've definitely been able to take that into my work now, which I'm I'm really enjoying.
0: Well, I like to finish all our chats with some less serious questions, just to get to know <laughs> you a little bit more. So it's, it's pretty rapid fire. So it's just I oh, chuck it no. out there, and and you just whatever comes to your mind, right? So oh, that's
1: dangerous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, first one is uh, favourite music or artist?
1: Oh, the Arctic Monkeys.
0: Oh, very nice. Yes. Um, books or movies?
1: <laughs> oh, I hate this question. What am I – I'm reading at the moment. It's um Sally Rooney. It's called um, – Talking with friends, okay. which sounds like I have no friends, <laughs> but it's like, it's about like, um, she's like a writer from Dublin. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like a coming of age book. She's like 21. And I okay. like reading about younger people being like, ha ha, ha. soon you will learn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about movies, mate? Do you have a favorite movie?
1: Favorite movies or maybe like X-Men. Okay. Or even just, I don't know. I like watching The Office. It's a TV show, but I wanted to mention The Office. I love watching no, it's The Office. Okay, is it the
0: American or English version?
1: It's the American one. Mm. Yeah, That's,
0: everyone always says that, and I'm really, I'm a big fan of the English version, so it's okay. It's I, th- right. I think it own.
1: depends on what you've watched first.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true, true. What about? I mean, we talk about TV shows there. What about uh, another TV show to, to binge watch?
1: To binge watch or any sort of like murder mystery? I'm definitely one of those people. Um, the fall is the one that I've I've watched a few times. Like I've watched all I think three or four seasons, and okay. then just watched it again.
0: Mm. Mate, given the times that we're in, what's your favourite game to play? Could be computer game, board game.
1: Uh, probably just cards. Yeah. Um, Josh and I get really competitive. Like we've to the point where we sign a contract before and after, <laughs> um, and it gets stuck on the fridge. Yeah. So you have to sign it beforehand, saying I accept that if I lose, um, I think it's like a truth and a dare. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you lose, <laughs> and then you, yeah, you have to sign, and it then it gets hung on the fridge, so that if anyone comes to visit after Corona, they know that Josh is lost.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like our house after Monopoly. Monopoly gets very competitive in our house. Oh
1: yeah, you can't even storm out and leave.
0: Mate, <laughs> <laughs> what about your favourite meal? Do you have a favourite meal? Oh,
1: iconically, big. Sp- Spaghetti bolognese. Mm. I love spaghetti bolognese. I think I forever will. Even as an athlete, it was like, you know, you want something calm, Mm. like something familiar in your tummy before your race. But still now, like, if you come home, you don't know what you want to make, and you just say, I want spaghetti.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mate, you're a world traveller, being on a few teams. What's your favourite country that you visited?
1: Favourite country? Oh, Iceland. I went and did, like, a seven-day camping trek there during the summer, and it was beautiful. Nice. So, yeah, that'd be the go-to.
0: I do miss Europe. I mean, all of this stuff, and we can't get out of here, but um, I'm sitting in my bar area now, and I've got shot glasses (laughs) from all around the world, right? So, that's just a little thing I collect, and I'm looking at all of these ones from Italy and Portugal and (laughs) Spain, and I just think, oh, I just... Can't wait to be able to, you know, travel again. let um, just off track here now. Uh, <laughs> mate, a little bit swimming related now. What about um, when you look back, who, who were some of your biggest rivals in the pool?
1: Biggest rivals? Oh, I don't know. I never got, like, personal rivalries. I yeah. think um, there was a girl from Bulgaria. Okay. Who I think I got like a weird rival because we had like the same birthday. Yeah, like I was like, she's in like April '93 as well. We're the same same star sign, and then I was just like, hmm, must do better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what uh, mate? What about um? This can be tongue in cheek, so it doesn't have to be taken too seriously. But what what about the biggest pest of the team? Was there anyone that was always pushing buttons?
1: Biggest pest. I'm trying to think if anyone pushed my buttons. Maybe Travis Mahoney, but he, in like a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I would be like, keep going. <laughs> Push people bu- people's buttons. I'm enjoying
0: this. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you were encouraging the behaviour. Oh,
1: yeah. I, I'm also a bit like it. Like, yeah. oh, that's annoying. Oh, okay. I'll keep going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about, Along the same lines, what about funniest teammate?
1: Oh, funniest teammate. I'm a bit biased because I'm probably going to pick like my own friends.
0: That's okay.
1: Hmm. I'd probably say Tessa.
0: Yep. She's
1: like my go-to person to make me feel good.
0: Very nice. And what about um, best piece of advice you've ever been given by a, a teammate or a coach or?
1: Oh, there's so much good advice, isn't there? <laughs> um, oh, I can't think of anything on the spot. I guess, like, more generally, just like. Oh, no, it's going to sound really, like, wimpy, but, like, just, like, to believe in yourself and work hard and enjoy it.
0: <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's... I
1: think one of the advice that I got given that I, I know that, like, so many people say is that to really enjoy it because it goes really fast. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there hearing that and being like, oh, yeah, easy to say when you're not swimming. <laughs> and then afterwards I'm like, but it's true. <laughs> but you, it's one of those things that you can't accept that advice until you have yeah. finished. <laughs>
0: Mate, when you uh, look back on your swimming career, what memories, you know, do you cherish the most? What do you look back on the most, you know, fondly?
1: Um, definitely the friendships. I think, um, you know, people like Blair Evans and Tessa um, or even just like Jack McLaughlin for me was like my training partner, my ride or die, mm. you know, in the pool, like definitely that Um. Because I think when you train with someone, there's this—you know—it's you see someone at their absolute highest and their absolute lowest. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, like, say, I remember Jack first training, like, coming to um, Chandler, and he had—he was a so, like, he did fifteen hundred meters, but he had never done more than like fifty k <laughs>
2: in a week. Yeah.
1: And I was just I remember looking at him, being like. He's not going to make it. <laughs> but, like, I think for me that was, like, the really special thing, like, seeing, like, you having your own journey but then watching other people's, like, s- say, for like particularly Jack. Like, I remember he used to say, like, oh, if I, if I make the Olympics, if I make the Olympics, and me and Dave McKean used to say, you don't say if, you say when, <laughs> when I make the Olympics. Yeah. And then – when he, it was like the Olympic trials and he was doing the 1500 and I knew like his race plan, I knew he was going to descend and he was, um, they were playing like, you're the voice. Yeah. And I was just crying. <laughs> in the grandstand. And they're like, but I remember I was sitting with, I think, um, sunshine coast people. And they're like, you're right. I was like, he's only going to descend from here. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember afterwards I was like, did you know, like, did you know you were going to make it? And it was like, I packed pants, which is like, it was the final night, and yeah. when they announced the team, you have to wear pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I packed pants. And I was like, wow, oh, <laughs> oh, You knew he could do it. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think swimming, like, you know, you have your own journey and you work really hard for yourself, but I think the beautiful thing is watching other people as well. Um, and, you know, I think that's what the love-hate for, like, Olympic trials for me is, you know, you get to watch people's dreams come true, but then you're also watching, you know, people's worlds be turned around because, you know, what do you do for the next four years? So mm. I think people underestimate, you know, your own journey but also watching other people's.
0: Mate, I think that was an awesome story and an awesome way to to wrap it up today. <laughs> um, I want to thank you very much for, for coming on the show for a chat, mate. It's been a while in the making but we we finally got there. <laughs> That's and on
1: my end, sorry. We, we, got
0: it, we got it done. It's all good. We got it done. And, um, mate, it, it, yours is an awesome story, as I said, and it was definitely one that I've – as I have pestered you to get this done, but it was for a good reason. It was, I think yours is a story that people definitely should hear and, and you know, the road to uh, where you got to and what you had to overcome to get there. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, interview, mate, and hope you enjoyed the chat as well. I did.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and pestering me. I'm not great with responding to text messages.
0: Sorry, um, well, I've got your phone number now, so now, now I know you can't dodge me on Instagram and Facebook. Oh, there's
1: no way
0: around it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Mate, we look forward to catching up with you again sometime in the future. Uh, stay safe with everything going on at the moment and try not to get too crazy being stuck inside. Uh, until then, though, thank you very much again for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast.
1: No worries. Thank you for having me.
0: Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by Pro Swim Workouts. Before we sign off today, guys, I just want to say a massive happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there listening. You guys are absolute legends, and I definitely hope you're all looked after this Sunday, especially with some breakfast in bed. Our next episode will be coming to you next Tuesday, the 12th of May, and features a straying swimming legend and another member of the famous 4x100m freestyle relay team from Sydney in 2000, Mr. Ashley Callis. Brilliant chat with a top bloke, and definitely one you will not want to miss. Till then, though, guys, have a great weekend. Please spoil your mum, and it's bye for now.